the president was dead. Colt and Brundy watched the coverage on a 24-inch flat screen in the small back room of their ritual cabin in remote Iowa. The initial reports came from smarmy reporters feigning sorrow. Cameras followed the vice president through the halls of the White House on her way to be briefed. Colt and Brundy relished this footage as they hoped at any moment it would show the would-be president spontaneously collapse like her predecessor. His heart attack was easy to write off. He had been old and frail. But the young, healthy VP still had decades of vitality in her blood. But as Colt and Brundy watched the new president swear into office before the captivated nation, doubts about their ritual's efficacy began to settle in. Neither voiced their concerns aloud, but they each stewed in worry as they tried to get comfortable in their cheap plastic chairs in front of the tiny TV. The president was dead, yet the bureaucratic machine rumbled on. As midnight approached, the coverage shifted to the oppositional candidates who would have been running against the incumbent president in the approaching election. Some gave him brief eulogies in their addresses to small local audiences, while others tarnished his infant memory with tactless digs at his character and record. With nothing new to report, the tired anchors began repeating things they had been saying since the shocking news broke hours before. The devil, it seemed, had no role in the demise of the nation's aged leader. His death had simply been a wild coincidence. Brundy felt played. He felt used. He felt useless. It would have been better if nothing had happened at all after he and Colt had finished the ritual and stood before their twelve dead victims. At least that embarrassment would not have been accompanied by the agony of false hope. Resolved not to let his story end in such an unfulfilling manner, Brundy got to work. As Colt continued watching the repetitive news, Brundy scanned the ancient text which had described the ritual for something they had missed, but he could not find any mistakes. He saw no reason why their ritual should have failed. Give it up, Colt, the statue, grumbled. This can't be it, Brundy replied. If I knew all this was going to do was kill the president, I never would have agreed to it. Colt glared at him, looking ghostly in the blue light from the TV. He said, We didn't kill the president, you idiot. It was a fluke. Total chance. You can look through that book all you want, but you aren't going to find anything that'll change what we did. No, Grundy begged. Don't say it like that. I'm not a murderer. I'm... Yes, you are. Colt watched his partner closely noting the desperation in his eyes and the nervous sweat dripping around them. We both are. Just plain old killers. He unconsciously flexed his left hand, sore from dragging the body of their final victim up to the altar they had constructed in the basement. He shuddered, for the first time, to think about the twelve posed corpses beneath them. The good news, Colt said, is that if we're smart about it, we can still get away with this and go back to our lives like nothing happened. What lives? Brundy barked. He jumped out of his chair and kicked it out of the room. 
A familiar icy pain fired down his leg from the knee, the result of an injury sustained in his previous life as a garbage man, the life Colt apparently wanted him to return to. Brundy wouldn't hear it. Would you rather spend the rest of your life in prison? Colt asked. I don't know, Brundy. Don't you think it was maybe a little crazy to think there was some ritual that would make us kings of the nation? Doesn't it strike you as just a little insane now? I guess now that it's over, I'm thinking a little clearer. I mean, why wouldn't someone else have already done it? Because they're all weak. Everyone but us, Colt. We deserved this, and now it's... Did you hear that? Colt interrupted. And although Brundy wanted to scream at him, he held his tongue. Hear what? Shh, listen. Neither man thought to mute the rambling television, but regardless, they could hear a low whistling sound coming from below. Colt dropped to his knees and made to place his ear against the floorboards, but recoiled suddenly. He gazed at Brundy with eyes wide enough to reflect the news anchor's red blazer. Feel this, Colt said, hovering his hand over the seam between two boards. Brundy copied him. He remarked, It's warm, as he felt the flow of air gushing up from the basement. It's like, like a pressure cooker or something. Colt, is this place gonna blow? Colt said, Something's happening, but I'm not sure what. Well, let's go down and see, Brundy whispered as if whatever was causing the heat might overhear him. Sure, but do me a favor and take it slow, Colt replied. We're off script here. I'm not sure what to expect anymore. But Brundy practically ran out of the small room, through the empty cabin, and to the trap door that opened to the basement. There, a powerful odor made him pause. Wrenching his mouth to one side, Brundy said, Smells like... eggs. Colt sniffed and said, Sulfur. No, I know what sulfur smells like, said Brundy. This smells like eggs burning in a pan. Like... Smoke! Colt suddenly exclaimed, pointing at the trapdoor near Brundy's feet. Black helixes of smoke were rising from all four sides, vanishing in wispy tendrils near Brundy's aching knee. Without thinking, he bent and unlatched the trapdoor. It popped open, bursting with pressure from below. As the door smacked into the floorboards, a toxic black cloud exploded around Brundy. He sputtered, coughed violently, then fell silent. Brundy? Colt called out, shielding his eyes against the smoke which now poured up from the basement. He could not see his partner through the stinging cloud, but he thought he could hear him distantly. Brundy was making incoherent noises, attempts to form words. They were coming from below Colt, not in front where he expected them. He forced his eyes open long enough to see that Brundy wasn't by the hatch anymore. Brundy, he shouted down. I'm getting out of here. If you want to come with, you'd better come back up. He wondered how Brundy could possibly be breathing. The smoke looked almost solid. He could only see the base of the stairs thanks to a faint orange light. The flickering down there, he assumed, was from the fireplace. They must have left an ember or two burning as they hurried upstairs to watch the news, and those embers must have reignited the flames. 
Brundy, just leave it and let's go, Colt shouted. It's better that this place burned down anyway. The smoke billowed. The light flickered. But nothing else moved below. Then, a particular shimmer in the firelight momentarily cast the shadow of someone moving on the stairs. Colt didn't know who it could be, but it certainly wasn't Brundy. He hurriedly backed away. From the smoke emerged a shriveled, blackened claw. It had been a human hand once, but being placed in a freezer prior to rigor mortis had caused it to clench inward. The hand of one of Colt and Brundy's twelve unfortunate victims caught a hold of his shirt and pulled him down into the smoke. The twelve had all been selected at random, similarly to Bill Kepke and Tara Machnik. Colt and Brundy had used police uniforms they purchased off of eBay and their twin gray Dodge Chargers rigged with a few aftermarket accessories to pull people off the highway and kidnap stranded motorists with false promises of assistance. Never had they used anyone who had any prior connection to either of them. They dispatched all of the men with a single bullet each, while the women had been ritualistically bled to death. It was all part of the ancient ritual Colt found in a book he bought off of the dark web. He and Brundy had been each other's only friends since high school. Back then, they were only angry at the girls who wouldn't go out with them. Then they were angry at the guys who did get those girls. Those guys also got the good scholarships and jobs after school. Colt and Brundy convinced each other that their lives were a hopeless disaster because those other men, the men who made it to the top, took too much and left them with nothing. To ever achieve happiness, they decided to flip the system. They knew of online movements that had tried to topple society's elite and failed. They knew of physical protests which had tried to achieve similar ends and also failed. Then, at some point, Colt stumbled upon the teachings of Aleister Crowley and Anton LaVey, or more accurately, twisted, distorted interpretations of their teachings. These interests led Colt to speculate about the use of black magic in their quest to reorder the world. And Brundy, well, he heard mention of intelligent-sounding names like Alistair and LeVay, and assumed Colt knew exactly what he was talking about. Put simply, the ritual was meant to symbolize a swapping of roles. It didn't really matter who was used, as long as there were two groups, those generally considered by society to be in power, and those generally considered oppressed. Colt thought trying to murder a bunch of powerful men in order to bow them in submission to a few fellow incels would be too complicated and posed too many opportunities for failure. Instead, he decided on the most basic role-swapping he could imagine. Men submitting to women. Perhaps, he wondered, he had been too vague with this interpretation. But he was only briefly able to consider this as his thoughts were soon refocused on the blackened hand dragging him through suffocating smoke. Other forms were moving within the smoke all around him. Crooked, undulating things crept around purposefully, but for what purpose, Colt could not imagine. The fire was a yellow blur. It gave no definition to the shapes, including the cloaked form of his captor. 
Colt realized as he struggled against the stony grip of his captor that he was being dragged across the floor which, the last time he had been down there, had been lined by rows of prostrated corpses. He protested. He fought. He called out for Brundy. He hacked and coughed as he struggled for oxygen. His lungs and throat burned, his head ached. Whenever he twisted away, the hand jerked him back. If he managed to plant his feet like brakes, his robed captor slammed him to the ground and continued. A new shape, one solid and unmoving, became clear against the firelight, the unholy altar. Upon the altar, someone crouched like a patient gargoyle. Colt's captor was dragging him directly toward this sinister figure. He renewed his efforts to prevent this from happening. Because he and Brundy had piled each victim in one of the four deep freezers behind the cabin, which they had continually filled with snow when it was available and ice when it wasn't, none of the bodies had suffered much decay. The dead hand which dragged Colt forth had all of the strength of a living person, but could feel no pain. As he beat it, clawed at it, it held steadfast. Colt, Colt heard Brundy's gravelly voice gasp. It's got me. Colt, surprised by the way his own voice sounded, could not complete his three-word sentence before a fit of coughing took over. His captor nearly lifted him into the air as it swung him around and dropped him at the foot of the altar. The crouching figure atop it loomed over him. It wore one of the white dresses he and Brundy had posed their female victims in. Its veil hung over its face, disguising the few features the firelight might have revealed. The smoke was thicker than ever, but now that Colt was near the fireplace just behind the altar, he could see almost everything. The shapes milling about were the twelve people he and Brundy had murdered, the men's hoods and the women's veils hid their shriveled faces. They jerked like puppets as they moved. Colt found Brundy. He had been dropped right next to him. His captor abandoned them to join a semicircle of the undead forming behind them. What is this? Colt whispered harshly to Brundy. Brundy coughed. <laughs> the ritual. <laughs> he coughed again. The ritual must have... <coughs> he could not finish. Science! Hissed the crackling voice of the one crouched above them. The voice which had once belonged to talented franchise executive Tara Machnik. Colt needed to cough, but held it in. He dared not make any sound, no matter how necessary. The veiled figure crawled down from the altar head first like a lizard then stood before them, looking down. Stand, it ordered. Colt was quick to obey, but Brundy could not. He made it to one knee before violent spasms and fitful coughing toppled him back over. The figure stooped, and like an arrow shooting from a bow, its hand shot into Brundy's face. Its thumb went into his gasping mouth, Two of its fingers dug deep into his eyes, pushing them back 
displacing them. Blood ran down Brundy's face in twin waterfalls as the figure lifted his head, compelling him to stand, then released him. He stood for a few seconds, legs trembling, before he collapsed again. Colt rightly assumed he was dead. The fire had begun to leap out of the fireplace. It licked the ceiling, catching in a few places. Colt anxiously faced the murder victim turned murderer and asked, What do you want? The veiled figure stepped closer. Only a breath of smoke separated their faces. On the words it spoke next, Colt smelled the sulfuric stench he had detected earlier. It said, My powers do not belong to you. It pointed at Brundy's still corpse. Or him. (laughs) No, Colt coughed. Of course not. But you sought to abuse them, accused the figure. No, we just (laughs) wanted to (laughs) right the injustice of our world. The figure stepped closer. Now only its charred veil separated its face from Colt's. Its breath entered Colt's lungs and burned worse than the smoke when it asked, Who do you think created injustice? Who do you think fosters it, strengthening its roots? Colt was not given a chance to respond. The last thing he ever saw was an open hand silhouetted by firelight. Agony filled his eyes in place of sight. He experienced horrific sensations as the figures buried deeper, exploring until they found his brain. Blood poured down his sinuses, entering his lungs as he sputtered and coughed against the thumb in his mouth. The hand squeezed as if trying to form a fist around Colt's nose. The last thing he felt was his own face being crushed from the inside. The basement ceiling, also the floor above, collapsed seconds later. In minutes, the cabin's walls and roof fell inward, burying the entire scene. The collapsed and buried basement became an oven, burning up the 14 still dead bodies it contained before it cooled. The fire obediently remained inside the cabin, never spreading to nearby trees or brush. And the society, which Brundy and Colt tried so desperately to overturn, moved on.